and welcome back to another episode of Legends of Read. You're listening to me, your host, Joanne Sukumaran. I'm a bassoonist based in Singapore. This evening, I have the great pleasure of introducing you to Yos Flach. Welcome to the show, Yos. Thank you all. Thank you very much, Joanne. Thank you very much. Yos Flach is currently head of winds at the Nafa School of Music in Singapore. He has lived since 1984 in Southeast Asia and has been a regular member, namely as sub-principal oboist of the Malaysian Philharmonic, oboist at the Singapore Symphony Orchestra and the Bangkok Symphony. He has worked for the Ministry of Education of Singapore as well as the Netherlands. He conducts wind ensembles and has witnessed an enormous expansion in the wind music scene here in Southeast Asia. So, who are you, Arvind? How are you, yours? <laughs> Good evening. I am good. I am alright. I am fine. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. Yeah, Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so so nice to see you. Uh, I mean, digitally, but not. Uh, yeah, we have social distancing uh, measures right now. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So I know you uh, for quite a number of years now from the wind band community in Singapore. Namely, the Philharmonic Winds, and I have also uh, ha- uh, had some uh, uh, coaching for you for my more conditions. Right? Thank you for your help. Yeah. How are you dealing currently uh, with this whole COVID nineteen situation? Well, I am doing fine, uh, much better than I thought. I still have my work to do, uh, a lot of administrative work. There's still uh, I still have to investigate uh, uh, the the examinations from the NAFA, so that's what we're doing. Then we have to write a report, etc. So that that is ongoing. Uh, for the rest, I practice. I try to improve my my, my skills, my uh, especially my teaching skills uh, by uh, by practicing a lot of scales, also different types of scales, not only uh, heptatonic scales, but also octatonic scales and hexatonic scales. Uh, and this later on, I hope to imp- being imp- to implement that in in my teaching when I go, when everything comes back to normal, and then then I hope to implement this this all this what I gained in these five six weeks uh, uh, to my students. I think so. I, I ref- refined it. I, I became more and more uh, went into depth in what skills are, and I discovered, for example, that I was neglecting a little bit. The, uh, the dominant seven chords, the broken chords, uh, uh, listening to my own recordings, I thought, hey, I think I can improve that. So I started to uh, to find a system how to practice uh, dominant seven chords and the mini seven chords. And I hope to implement that later uh, in a few months' time when the when the school starts again. So yeah, so in order to teach better, more systematic, and teach better. So that's that's what I did. So I cope I cope very well with it. Yeah, I had no problems. It sounds like you have a very good structure, right? How you structure your day, right? Could you tell us how did you yeah. um, work from home? Did you did you make a timetable for yourself, or how how did you do it? No, I didn't. But I what I find very pleasant is that I am not woken up by an alarm clock. I wake up in a very natural way and I feel the rest of the day, I feel much better by that. I'm less tired at night. So actually I'm more, more active. I feel more active. I have my, my uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner. That is almost, almost the same time. Uh, I do walk in the, the, the park corridors, uh, which are not so far from my, from my apartment. Then I make a cup of coffee in the morning. So it is, it is a bit structured, and, but yeah, it is structured. I, uh, yeah, you can say so, but with a certain flexibility. I see, I see. Yeah, I'm also thinking of uh, doing things that I don't normally do, like uh, studying more harmony and uh, doing more improvisation at home because I think now we have that flexibility, right? We don't have to be always on the hamster wheel, right? That's right, that's right, yeah. that's right. So as you know, in Singapore, we had uh, quite uh, a difficult time with two long months of the circuit breaker, which is like a partial lockdown. And although it's 
officially over many schools and concert halls still remain closed, right? And we don't know when the first concerts will actually happen, probably after mid-August, and uh, people are asked to stay at home for one more month, right? How are you managing that with NAFA and your students you're managing currently uh, studying at NAFA? It differs from year to year. The students from the first two years, they were able to make a recording and sent it to us. And we, within Zoom, through the Zoom meeting, we uh, we listened to them and we assessed them. Now the circuit breaker is over. We start to get uh, live assessments again. That is uh, coming up. Yeah. I see. So have you been back to the school or when do you start uh, teaching again in school? I have been back very shortly to deliver a few few things, a few papers, but that's it, actually. That's it, actually. But my, a few of my colleagues have came back already last week, uh, but I start, ne- actually, I start next week. Oh, so it's quite exciting, right, that things are starting to slowly uh, yeah. reopen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Things are slowly start to open, yeah. Oh, that sounds quite yeah. uh, optimistic then, yeah, things are moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, sure, yeah. 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 So, so I think everything will, if nothing happens, if there is not a second wave, or uh, we still have to be careful, of course, eh? then I think the situation will improve and come back to normal with the experience experience we learned, of course. I saw this experiment. It was done by the Vienna Philharmonic, and they were doing an experiment of uh, how contagious uh, wind instruments are, right? Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, yeah, wow. it, it shows that the the distance right of the the air molecules is actually very uh, limited, actually around the player's uh, circumference. Yeah, so I think that mm-hmm. actually that um, yeah, the government officials should, should really look at that research, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is of course singing or wind playing. Yeah, you you you, you blow out the air. Eh? Yeah, carbon yeah, yeah. dioxide and that's uh, yeah there yeah. is there is moisture in it yeah. yeah so that's that's you have to be careful with that yeah yeah so i've always been curious but i've never uh, asked you this question before right but uh, what made you move from the netherlands to southeast asia yeah no i didn't want to go, go particular to singapore uh, when i finished my studies in june or end of May, beginning of June 1983, I took up and studied musicology at uh, Amsterdam University, but I also uh, decided to to write to different orchestras all over the world and ask whether there is an opening available. And I wrote to, this is actually a nice story, because in that time there was no computer of course so i had to go to the embassies of the countries where i know there was an orchestra or an, a conservatory or whatever and i did and i rang at the doorbell and i said well i'm this and this and this i'm that's my name and uh, i know there is an orchestra in your country in your country and uh, is there a can i get the address of the orchestra because of course there was no there was no didn't have there was no computer so there was no google so and most of most embassies were very willing to give that so i did and i wrote to all over the world costa rica et brazil hong kong that was then still hong kong of course uh, and then singapore and singapore said yes can you send us a cassette in that time we had cassettes yeah, small cassettes so i made a small i made a, uh, a recording of I think Haydn's Oboe Concerto, uh, and I sent it to Singapore to in the, to the music director that was Mr. Chu Hei, and then um, after receiving it, two or three weeks later, I got an, a telegram, a telegram, yeah, a telegram. So an old-fashioned and telegram, an old-fashioned telegram, and I received it the thirtieth of November, and uh, said, please come the first of January, and so. Uh, we will provide you an air ticket. Uh, and uh, so I flew with Singapore Airlines from Amsterdam to Singapore on the 4th of, I think the 4th of January. So that's how I came here. It was just 
that Singapore had an opening was was a matter of luck, but also, yeah, yeah, it was a matter of luck that that at that time there was just an opening. That's wow. how I came in Singapore. Wow, what a story! The telegram and the embassies here. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was no computer, so you you were much more physical uh, involved. Yeah? So uh, wow. you write letters and you, you write. Uh, Letters uh, with a curriculum vitae, with a resume, and and then you have to make a tape. So you made in small cassettes, you know, the small cassettes. Yeah, the, you made a small cassette, um, and of course that was all. It was not digital. It was all uh, uh, not digital. Yeah. So yeah, that was all. Mm. How it went, it also went. It was fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I still have that tape. I think I still have that. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so but I mean, the, where is your hometown in Holland? My hometown. I'm born in Sneek. Sneek is in Friesland, in the northern one of the northern provinces. Hmm. And I studied for five years in Amsterdam. It was a five-year study. I Five-year study. Yeah. I yeah. see. You know that I live one year in Holland, right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. I that's lived, right. That's uh, right. But you've never been in Snake, yeah. I think. No, no, near Rotterdam. Yeah, so between the no, I live in Skidam and Utrecht. Yeah. So, <laughs> so why, right, why, right. why didn't you want to stay in Netherlands, or you just wanted to have a, a, an adventure or yeah, overseas? Or? Yeah, I was. Uh, I wanted to work, and I wanted to play in an orchestra. Uh, I would if. If I would have stayed longer there, it, there were still openings coming available there. It was, the situation then was still still quite good, so very likely I would have succeeded in something. But uh, yeah, at, at, at the end it became Singapore. Wow! Oh wow! What a great story that is! I didn't know that. Was it challenging or was it exciting for you to make the book, the big move to Singapore? That was exciting, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I brought, I brought my oboe and toothbrush and and some reed materials and reeds, and uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that I went through the gates in Schiphol in Amsterdam Airport. Yeah, I remember that, and that a whole group of people, students, were there to say farewell to me. Yeah, and my parents were there, and, and a whole group of. Students, I remember that. Yeah, I remember mm. that very well. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that you you must have also uh, had moments where you were homesick, right, for Holland, right? I mean, being so far away. No, oh. I, no, I enjoyed it, especially the first half year. I enjoyed yeah. tremendously. Yeah, to to uh, to play in orchestra and to play all the symphonic pieces and and. Uh, no, I had. I was not bored at all, and not not. I homesick. No, not really. Not really. But you miss a little bit the seasons, huh? Uh, and the uh, yeah, seasons. Uh, that is a bit. Uh, but I, I think everybody complains about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure now that you speak uh, fluently English, right? You've been here so many years. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I think it is very, uh, it is very Dinglish, Dutch English. <laughs> oh, Dinglish. Okay, I, I don't yes. know about that word, Dinglish. <laughs> no, I also do. I just make it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that in Holland, right? When you say like uh, no, they usually say ne ho, right? But the ho is something that is a common particle in Singlish. No, have you ever thought about that? No. No, hoor is this H O O R. Yeah, that means from that comes from hearing. Yeah, to hear. Huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. So I, I, I don't say that. That I don't use that word here. Ah, uh, yeah, but the the si- Singaporeans use hoor also a lot in, at the end of the sentences, like. No, uh, they use say la, eh? Yeah, no, but there is ho also. You should also uh, use ho. <laughs> okay, I will listen to it. <laughs> I will listen. Yeah. Could you tell us what was your time like playing in the uh, Malaysian Philharmonic and uh, in Bangkok? Right? Oh, uh, totally different. Uh, Bangkok Symphony Orchestra had only a concert twice a month. 
and they had ample rehearsals for the pieces we're going to play. And that was very convenient because you had time to practice, time to make reads. And we did a lot of light music. It was not only symphonic concerts, but also light music. Quite surprising pieces, the pop songs that I never heard of, which I don't, do know now. Uh, yeah. So that's what we did. We did a lot of Thai compositions, uh, Thai king compositions. And then Malaysia Philharmonic was a complete different cup of tea. I mean, there you had three concerts a week. Three, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon. And you had only Monday, in the beginning we had quite a lot of rehearsals. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning. Later it became Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Or three and a half rehearsals. There's still quite a lot. If we compare with uh, here in Singapore, because later on they went even to less rehearsals. But yeah, we had to, it was a new ensemble, so we had to be trained. Uh, but there were a lot of concerts every week, and that was a complete new repertoire. As Shostakovich symphonies, as Ravel's, the Debussy's, uh, but very cleverly programmed in the sense from two big concerts per month. Then one chamber music, chamber, chamber orchestra concert per month. So there's the third concert. And then there was a family concert also once a month. So the two symphonic concerts were really, really tough. And, and the precision which was demanded was, was, was very high. Uh, intonation, rhythm, all had to be very, very precise and, uh, for the chamber concerts, yeah, we did Haydn symphonies, uh, organ concertos, uh, Handel organ concerto. We did the smaller works, so not everybody was involved, so that a few string players could take off. And then the family concerts were, yeah, what you have here, uh, family fun day concerts, and that's what we have in Malaysia too. So Malaysia started actually by employing uh, companies from outside Malaysia who were specialized in this, and later on. Uh, Singapore Symphony Orchestra took that over. They worked together. They they uh, they worked. Uh, sometimes a, a troop came first to Kuala Lumpur and then went to Singapore, or uh, a troop first went to Singapore and then they came to Malaysia. So the conductors were also combining that. So yeah, so so that, but it was very hard work, especially the first eight years, seven eight years. Then it started to relax a little bit because then the Sunday afternoon concerts were uh, left out. So we had only Friday night or Saturday night. So two concerts yeah. a week, right? Eventually, two concerts went to yeah. events that yeah. went to two concerts a week. But yeah. it were initially for for six years. It were three, five, six years were three concerts a week. Yeah, and then you have to get your reads. Eh? Your reads have to be your instrument, your reads. So everything has to be in 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 optimum condition all the time. All the time, so that was really hard work. Yeah, I really like the programming of the Malaysian Philharmonic. I think they they do a very good job with that. Yeah. Um, yep. Were you with them from the beginning? Yeah. Ah, I see. So you yeah. saw them uh, develop and grow, and yeah. yeah, July. The first rehearsal was first of July, nineteen ninety-eight. I remember that. Vorjak 6, was it? Yeah, a, a number of pieces, but it was Vorjak 6. Yeah. Is it true yeah. that the first music director was so particular, he was controlling the humidity? Uh, yep. Yeah? Yep. We, we, we know we, the humidity was measured all the time. The temperature was measured. Uh, the timing of the pieces was measured. Everything was measured, yes. Yeah, it was very particular about that. Because the timpanis, some, I think he worked with uh, uh, really leather uh, skin, uh, how you call that? How you call that from the timpanis? Uh, drum skin, and, is it? And oh, yeah. Drum skins, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was very uh, humidity sensitive. So, yeah, it was very, very particular. Yeah, very precise. Yeah. yeah, now that you are full-time faculty, right? 
Do you miss your yep. time uh, in the orchestra? Do you ever look back and reminisce? No, not really. Sometimes I still play in an orchestra here, but uh, not not really. I have been 25 years playing in a professional symphony orchestra. Totally 25 years, exactly 25 years. So it was, I thought now it's time to share my experience mm -hmm. uh, to younger people. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is actually the reason uh, after 25 years, I thought that is, that is a good, good amount of years. Yeah. I see. I see. So uh, who have been some of your favorite musicians and conductors you have worked with? Who? Difficult question. Well, <laughs> the very difficult question. Yeah. My first, uh, who, who gave me a, a really thorough, basic training was actually the first uh, music director of MPO, Mr. Case Barkles. Mm -hmm. That uh, was so intelligent and and so thoroughly and uh, that impressed us all actually that was it was it was a surprise to us all every rehearsal actually every concert where all all the concerts were above average i mean i remember a uh, few concerts were so precise so successful and, and dorshak symphony number no. five we did and i thought it was so so precise, I remember that. Uh, and there are a few concerts more. Uh, Laval's by Ravel. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, very impressive way of, of, of leadership because that, that's it, basic of leadership and, and, and how to rehearse, psychology of rehearsing, psychology of uh, approaching a musician. That was very, uh, he was. Was had a lot of experience in that, so that was very impressive. So that gave a lasting. That was a lasting impression. I played under Mazel, Lorraine Mazel. I played under uh, Hans Graf, who is now currently for the Singapore Symphony Orchestra. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there were there were very good conductors. Uh, one one conductor was very interesting. When I was 14, 15 years old, my mother brought me to uh, the, the Frisian uh, Symphony Orchestra. It was a professional symphony orchestra in Friesland, in the northern part of the Netherlands. And the conductor was, was there a man from Czechoslovakia, from that, in that time Czechoslovakia. His name was Libor Pesek. Libor Pesek. And uh, so he introduced me a little bit to classical music. I still remember... Uh, Lalo, Symphony Espanol, that made a lasting impression on me. And, and I still remember that in, in the town where I was born, that they played in, in, a, in a film theater, in a, uh, in a, yeah, in a cinema theater, because there was no concert hall. And, uh, and later on in the MPO, he came once to MPO, that was in 2000, I can't remember, 2004 or 2005. And then I played under him. Oh uh, wow! The first oboe. So oh. I, I went to him. I said, I said, I told him from, uh, well, it was you who brought me to classical music, and uh, he said, ah, uh, I remember that period very well that I was conducting there. And, and then we spoke for a while. That was that was a very nice, uh, uh, very nice meeting. But that is the the good thing from MPO. You meet very interesting people. Not only in the orchestra, but also as conductor, as soloist, and if you speak to them, to them, they they are uh, they have interesting things to say, and and they are interested, and, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that is a bit an aspect what 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 you miss now, eh, being in educational field. Uh, although we have master classes, we invite soloists, and that is very nice. Uh, but a lot of uh, uh, not so frequent, and, and as when I was in the Malaysia Philharmonic, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they don't uh, have a permanent director, right? Is that right? I think they have visiting musical directors. Right? Well, that's right. That's yeah. one of the first orchestras in, in this region who decided to work without uh, 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 how do you call it, chief conductor. Mm. Actually, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the terminology is, is completely messed up. You have principal conductor, you have chief conductor, you have whatever. But th- th- they decided to work without. Mm-hmm. And the orchestra was so strong, uh, actually. Then we worked with new chief conductors. We worked with uh, Mr. Matthias Mart and Klaus Peter Floor for six years. Mm-hmm. So we did... But now that stopped, then they decided not to make another chief conductor. And, and we had for six months a Brazilian conductor for one year, now eight months or something. And that, that was it. Yeah, yeah. But Ox was strong enough to, to be able to carry, to, to keep the, con- the, the, the quality going. Yeah, that depends what, what kind of people you have in the orchestra, for the orchestra. And, and there are still, still people there who, who do that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a very yeah. impressive band. Yeah, I was uh, looking at some of your recordings. I noticed that many Asian composers have written music for you. Did you commission them, or how did this working relationship start? Yeah, I commissioned. You commissioned? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I commissioned. Yeah, uh, there's not so many pieces. Pieces were. Not so many. There is just a new oboe quintet is finished for me. I would love to perform it. Uh, I'm still searching for a string quartet. Uh, it is an oboe quintet, so for, for string quartet and oboe. And it is a good piece. It is by a Singapore composer who studies at this moment. Uh, uh, his name is Elliot, Elliot uh, Teo, I think. Uh, who, uh, is it Elliot Teo? I think so, Elliot, I call him Elliot, and, and Elliot, uh, he studies at the Royal Academy of Music in London, and he wrote a piece for me, and it was, it's a, it's a very good piece. So, yeah, so there are still people writing for me, yeah, yeah. Mm. But I commissioned also a lot of pieces for wind ensemble. I had wind in, uh, in Kuala Lumpur uh, for nine years, so nine years, that's quite long, and uh, yeah, we got. Uh, I commissioned pieces from from uh, Malaysian composers, from Indonesian composers, and that still that pieces are still I have that in my library. Now and then I pick up one, and uh, I do that with the Wind Ensemble, the Nafa Wind Ensemble. But this all pieces are still in manuscript; they have never been published. And there are, uh, there are pieces there was no computer then, so they are still in handwriting. Yeah. Yeah, I saw this video. The piece is called. How the crocodile got its teeth. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I commissioned that. You commissioned that, right? And so I very, commissioned that. Yes. Yeah, it's a very yeah. interesting one, right? It starts out the with the drone, and it has a lot of Malaysian uh, folk elements, right? Could you, yeah. yeah. Could you briefly tell us what, uh, how the idea came about? Well, the thing is, is how do you make contemporary music atonal? Uh, a tone is a wrong word, but there is no music without tonality uh, accessible to audience. And if you want to do uh, alternative techniques on the instrument, on wind instruments, uh, like double trills, whatever sound you can make on an instrument, the best way maybe is to 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 put it into a storyline. So choose a story and make stage music around it to illustrate music as, as the big opera composers all did. If you go to, to, to Puccini, all this music is very closely related to the action on the stage. Now, to, to organize an opera is a very big thing, so we didn't have the means for that. So we decided, let's do it before narrator. So somebody narrates a story and then we, the composer has to make a piece around it, which is, which illustrates the action, the narration actually. So, and then Yi Ka Ho, who I commissioned, the Malaysian composer Yi Ka Ho, uh, asked to write. And he did. And he chose a story from, uh, Orang Asli. Orang Asli is, uh, uh, the original inhabitants of uh, Peninsula Malaysia, you can say, and there are many tribes. And he chose a story and a fable 
between a crocodile and a pangolin uh, uh, originating from from this tribe. Yeah, and yeah, it worked out well. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, yeah. this composer, this composer has to be paid, and I paid this composers also. It is not that I ask a favor or something. I, I set a deadline. Uh, I set a duration. I said mm -hmm. this is the duration. This is the deadline that you have to deliver it. These are the instruments, and this is my idea. What I would like to, what would like to hear, mm -hmm. and then you negotiate about the fee. And, and uh, most most composers are very willing to write. So, yeah. So that's how, how, how it works. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, recently I was also uh, working uh, with a Canadian composer and I commissioned him to write me a piece. So it was really, uh, how you say, very interesting process because the composer mm -hmm. will also try to challenge you, right? And push you a little bit. I also seen that you have made some videos, uh, like a guide for composers to understand extended mm -hmm. technique on the oboe, right? Mm -hmm. So extended why is it so important for us to have this really good relationship with composers, especially uh, contemporary comp composers? Well, I, I, in the past, composers and performers were actually one. Huh? So Brahms was not only a composer, but he also he also performed his own pieces. And Dvorak was a viola player, and Mozart was a piano player, and, and a violin player. They all composed. They were instrumentalists who who composed. So they were, nowadays, they are mostly remembered because they are composers. But in that days, they were famous because they were uh, good instrumentalists. And that has been lost, of course. Uh, that is that we have split that uh, we have split the composers from the performer side so i think it is very important that the performer speaks with composers and yeah discusses what is possible and not possible and and that kind of thing so the, the a lot of composers have problems with extended techniques because they don't play the instrument themselves anymore that was in the past in the past was that different of course yeah, so that, that's why it is very important that there is a platform that this 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 uh, this interchange, this communication can take part, and that is that is uh, a bit a bit a bit a problem. It's not always uh, there is not always a platform, so the composers don't don't know. Yeah, yeah. So it's for me very important that. That they consult or consult that they ask that they that they know you they know your style of playing they know what your strengths and your weaknesses are as, as in the past the composers know from their own instrumental uh, uh, capabilities what they could do and not could do I mean I think all that parallel six and and big octaves uh, parallel six in Brahms or the big octaves in Rachmaninoff he would not have written it when he was not able to play it himself. So he knew what his limitations were and what he could do. Yeah, yeah. I, so I it can is important. Yeah, I can see that you're you're very uh, much focused on the Southeast Asian music because I see you playing in sets, right? The sets yeah. ensemble, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's great that uh, you you want to feature the composers from this region, right? Yeah, I yeah. think it's very important. Yeah, very important that music is alive. It's a life thing and that is still created. Mm. Yeah, I think it's very important. Yeah. So earlier on, you mentioned that you yep. wanted to, um, how do you say, uh, evolve, and then you you moved on from the orchestral playing. And I know that you have enormous uh, passion for teaching and for wind chamber music, right? Could you tell us yeah. about these two uh, passions of yours? Well. Uh, NAFA is a fantastic school for that because there are the players and the players are very very willing to play chamber music in general mostly I take part in the ensemble too That is an, I do that to keep control over the ensemble I do that also to, to be inspirational, to, be, to inspire the students and of course we are there for the students, so the students have to learn and uh, 
it is fantastic to be able to do that. And so we did Wind Serenades by Mozart. We did uh, Partita by Cromer, which are uh, which are n- necessary for a wind player to do. I mean, they have to know that these pieces exist, and uh, yeah, that later on they, when they start to teach, they can use this this material too. So that's why uh, uh, I do a lot of chamber music with with the students, mm-hmm. and we all enjoy it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And from, from all different nationalities, that is then also a challenge, of course. Eh? There are people from People Republic of China and eh? students from People Republic of China. And uh, they are diff- educated in a different way. Uh, there are people from, from Singapore itself. There are people from Indonesia, students from Indonesia. They're all educated in a different way. Yeah. And that is a challenge to bring that together. Mm. Yep. I see you also have a special uh, link to Indonesia, right? You were lecturing there in uh, Dr. Kata. Yeah? Mm. So could yeah. you tell us about your experiences in uh, teaching in Indonesia? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that, yeah. that, was, uh, that was a Dutch government project to mm. boost the, the quality of the school, the Institutioni Indonesia, EC is it called, Institutioni mm. Indonesia in Yogyakarta. And uh, for two years, I stayed there, and I had also a wind ensemble there. And indeed, what I do, what I do, is uh, I asked a lot of composers to write for the wind ensemble. So I got a lot of, of uh, uh, new pieces from them, uh, and also uh, introduced composers as Beethoven, Octet, uh, and 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 uh, that's what I did. I was teaching oboe. There, so I got more and more students slowly on. Uh, yeah, that that was at my two years experience, and I still have contact with them all. That is quite remarkable. I have still contact with players there, and who are now uh, my age or are a little bit younger than I was because they were students, but I still have uh, good contact with them, and that is that is quite remarkable. Very warm is that actually. Very welcoming, always. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, vis- I visited uh, Jogja last year, and it's really uh-huh. special for culture. Right? I went to a jazz festival, and it was in the middle oh, yeah. of the paddy field, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 yeah I know that is that is uh, that is something special. Yeah. 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 It was completely no, free. No, I, yeah. 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 It was completely free. Okay. You could walk from stage to stage. Yeah. Look, yeah. very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, very nice. They're very creative, very creative people, and and there's an, of course, an enormous tradition in performing arts. Eh? There's a, there is a tradition that is that is from every there is history, there is a tradition. People have experience in organizing uh, these kind of festivals. Uh, yeah, that's this. Yeah. And they, they got a, they get a lot of artists from embassies. Embassies sent a lot of artists to Yokya to perform there. So they also get very good quality uh, artists, musicians there. Uh, maybe for for three or four days only, with one concert. But uh, it's quite amazing what I witnessed there. I mean, fantastic clarinet player, fantastic uh, pianists. Uh, they were all sent by the. British Embassy or the Dutch Embassy or, or or whatever. The Netherlands Wind Ensemble was there. I went also to Yogyakarta. Yeah, we got very good conductors there because the, the embassies were most willing to help. And they were all sent not only to Jakarta because that is where the, the Dutch cultural center is, but they were also uh, sent to Yogyakarta. Yeah, Yogyakarta. yeah it's, a, it's a special city here. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I know you have progressed very uh, naturally to conducting. How did that start out? How did you start out conducting? No, I I did in Kuala Lumpur. I always conducted the wind ensemble. Eh? Yeah, and now then I had also a community band for half a year, but it was um, I had to stop that because it was too far away. Uh, it took too much time. Uh, I had a community band in Ipo that was. Two and a half hours drive. I did that for quite long. Five years I did that. So I conducted also uh, community bands there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So uh, you've spent uh, so many years in uh, choosing this, repertoire, yeah, making. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yes. No. Yeah. It is not only conducting; it is also making the repertoire and uh, to make the the programs. And you have to uh, program has to be on one side. It has to be educational for the player, but it also has to be enjoyable for the audience. So that is not always easy, and sometimes you fail, and sometimes you you succeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One program is better than another one. So, yeah. So my next question is that you've been in Southeast Asia for for many years now. What are some of the developments uh, in wing playing you have seen, and uh, what do you think are the challenges that lie ahead for this region? I think there is um, there is an enormous grow in quality playing. The, the quality has gone up tremendously. Uh, in all countries, actually, there is still room for expansion. I find the chamber music scene still uh, too, too too small, and that is also caused by there is not a chamber music series, not enough. Maybe there is. Singapore Symphony Orchestra has something, but it can be much more. It can be in hotels, it can be in homes of people. Of course, the HDB flats are not suitable for that. Uh, but there are also bigger homes, there are bigger houses, and people can organize much better, much more chamber chamber performances. doesn't have to be a six times. Sometimes they organize and they organize it six times a year, which, which is far too much. It can be two or three times. And I think there is still a chance lunch. I feel that I feel that still can be expanded in a, in 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 a good way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've for, been for the rest. What shall I say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking of uh, working on a festival, but I think it's also very ambitious. So, so but I think that's a long term goal. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. 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 Oh, there's the art festival, of course, the Singapore Art Festival. Yeah. There are there are festivals. Do you have any advice for young and emerging musicians in Singapore and in the region? What do you think is important for them to know? Believe in your dreams. Set a goal. Keep setting goals. And don't put the goals too high up. I mean, you have to climb the ladder. Yes, but don't expect that you can fall to the top of the ladder. Do it step by step. So for every step, you set a goal. That can be a piece, or that can be an organizing concert, small concert, can be a house concert. And from there, you do that step by step. And you will, if you if you really uh, determined and you keep practicing uh, and make enjoy make practicing enjoyable, because otherwise you cannot sustain it. So make keep practicing being an enjoyable activity. Set your set goals, uh, and, and of course, when you are at tertiary education as uh, NAFA or YST, uh, the examinations who uh, the curriculum who set set goals for you. But you must realize that when once you're off that tertiary tertiary education field, you have to set goals yourself, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that is, I think, very important. Oh, so be responsible for your own goals. Is that right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, so to take charge. Yeah. 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 To take charge and yeah. be creative. Yeah. And, and uh, be creative. Be creative in setting goals, but that has to be realistic goals. Don't make the goals too high. Look more into the quality than in uh, than performing something which is very difficult and doesn't go well. So better to yeah um, to, play, to play something very beautiful and very precise because you talk about precision work. It is all precision work, but also to able to 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 create an illusion with your sound mm. and and that takes time. That takes time, and don't set the, the goals too high. But you set a goal, 
that is important yeah now that is my advice i see because i think uh, a lot of uh, musicians i know when they graduate uh, usually they take on uh, for example like a day job an administrative job right uh, like 9 to 5 and then they still play in the gig right from 7 to 10 right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, I just sometimes wonder how sustainable this lifestyle is because you're practically working 12 hours a day, you know, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, people who work in an office and still being at night, uh, say an hour or something, I really admire that. Uh, that is hard work and especially in this climate, But it is hot and humid, and you are tired at the end of the day. Uh, and yeah, there are not so many public holidays, unfortunately. So that doesn't that doesn't help either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, that, uh, it is hard work. Yeah, it's hard work. Absolutely true. Yeah. Besides the oboe, uh, do you have other favorite instruments? Or other favorite instruments? Yeah. Yes, I have. I like the violin very much. I like the horn very much, and I like the piano very much. That actually are my four uh, favorite instruments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oboe, violin, especially violin can be very, very, very beautiful. So many colors you can create, and horn is just a beautiful instrument, beautiful brass instrument. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite composer? I also like the violin, by the way. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Favorite composer, you ask. I like good composers. Yeah, or a good piece of music. Not there is not a real favorite. I mean, no favorite. <laughs> well, uh, well, there is there is uh, the the Shakespeare under the music is of course Johann Sebastian Bach. That, that I think he stands head and shoulders above everybody. But uh, yeah, no, there is no But there are favorite pieces of music, yeah, that you can say. Yeah, ah, yeah. I see. So do oh. you have a favorite oboe concerto? Or, or no, no, not really, not really, not really, not really. I, no, no, you can't okay. say so. No, no. I see, I see. Yeah, recently I've been listening. I like the Finnish composer Kalevi Oho. I don't know if you heard of him. No. Yeah. yeah. No, something in, yeah. in you. And I also like. Yeah, what is his name? Say it Ka- again. Kalevi Oho. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now you, maybe you can watch. You can message me, WhatsApp me the name of the composer. Yeah. Then I'll look yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I will yeah. look into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. So, Did you write for Busun? Yes, he's written a bassoon concerto and a double bassoon concerto. Wow. Okay, yeah. great. And also great, a, great. a concerto for theremin, you know, the theremin, the instrument that you, you move with your hand. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think he's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Right, right, right. Good. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, so I just wonder, uh, what inspires you uh, artistically? Uh, is it other things like uh, books and films or just purely music? No, a good book, a good film, uh, a good television series, uh, uh, a good piece of music that inspires me. And, and good performance, if I go to a fantastic performance, Think, wow, what is that inspiring? That reloads my battery. Yeah, I, well, a good I, book. Yeah? A book can a book can do that too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, what have been some of the most important lessons you have learned in your career? What teach? What does life teach you? Everything, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a specific, yeah. specific, specific. Uh, Thing what I learned that it's life what, what teaches you yeah, all the uh, ups and downs which you have. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's that's what that's what you learned. Yeah, that's 
that is, I think that is for everybody uh, uh, the same, and that is very personal, of course, also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, last night I was watching a talk by uh, the writer Malcolm Gladwell and he was talking about the story of David versus Goliath and he was talking about actually how uh, what you think are disadvantages are advantages. So I was like, wow, this is really fascinating and I was thinking about it this morning. Yeah. So you know that oh, yeah. The, you certain, know that, yeah. certain lectures, certain talks are very interesting, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. true, yeah. true, yeah. So, yeah. but that is all that is all uh, information, of course. Yeah. To make this information um, internalize it in you and make it knowledge, that is a that is an, uh, a very slow process. That is a long process, and people forget that now a little bit with. With all this media that we have, they get a lot of information. It's very easy to ob obtain information, but that doesn't mean that it is knowledge. Knowledge is something which you make your own, which which you 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 create ownership over that, over that, and that, that certain people forget that. And that is also how our education system is structured a little bit. We have one semester this or two semester that. We have. Uh, uh, one project this, one project that, but projects is just projects. If that is whether you really learn the skill and you get the knowledge, I have sometimes my questions about that. Yeah, mm. uh, if you do a counterpoint and you have counterpoint only three months, yeah, you don't learn counterpoint in three months. That is three years, and every every week. Or every week you have a lesson, or every week you have two lessons, and it has to go on and on and on. And then really it starts to knowledge, it becomes knowledge. You get speed, you get, you start to know uh, what what counterpoint actually is. So this kind of this kind of matters. Yeah, mm. that's that's mm. that's maybe what I learned. Mm. And then there was then when there was no computer, we had less. We had less information but we had longer training in something in skills or in in uh, in in knowledge what we needed in, in in obtaining knowledge we had more time and that is that is nowadays a bit different that's why actually this two months actually isn't is a rest point a little bit a rest point from yeah not losing time of uh, traveling because uh, certain students, they, they travel two and a half hours a day or two hours a day. Yeah, two and a half hours per day they lose on traveling. Uh, and you run from from here to there. And now we have to sit still in our house. Now set a, set a goal, set a goal, set an aim, set a goal yourself. From How do I make this useful? And when it is not useful a day, well, too bad, and it is, you should not become frustrated about it. But that's that is very uh, you learn a lot from that. But you have to be aware of it. If you're not aware of it, yeah, yeah. awareness is fifty percent of the uh, of, of the battle, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, self awareness, right? Self awareness. Yeah, wonderful. I remember you used to tell me mm, that you yeah. prefer taking the bus, you sound, right? You sound yeah. You, I remember yeah. you used to tell you, yeah, you prefer taking the bus because then you have mm -hmm. more time to look at the surroundings, right? Yeah. 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 True. Yeah, True. Yeah. If I take the train, you, you rush through the tunnel. You don't see anything. You see only people, gloomy looking people, especially on Monday morning. Nobody talks with each other. Uh, the stress you see stressed people and in the bus it's a bit more relaxing yeah yeah, yeah I you found, see more yeah I found that I, I I get like really good ideas actually from this uh, like down uh, times when I'm like just doing laundry or going outside walking and then oh then the idea starts to come you know when I'm in always practicing then the ideas do not come right so it's it's quite bizarre how the mind works, right? 
right, right, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, moving on to the next question, you know that uh, we live in a very uh, strange and turbulent times, especially with the pandemic. A lot of people are facing a lot of difficulties, right, economically. And now we have also mm-hmm. the civil unrest in America. So what do you think the role of the arts and, you know, uh, artists, like what, what should we do? Like, should we do something to help society? What should the arts do? I don't know. <laughs> I have no answer. I have no answer about that. I mean, there has always been uh, uh, disasters in the world and uh, negative of signs of aggression, or negative feelings. Uh, what we can do as artists, uh, what you can do with your, uh, be positive towards your students, be positive in your surroundings, try not to be irritated about what happens in your surrounding. Uh, uh, be positive. And I think that's, as a human being, that's what you can do about it. It's not specific artists. Uh, that is not only for artists. That is for, uh, it's very generic. That's for in general for mm-hmm. all people. Be positive. Mm-hmm. And that is what you contribute to the world in a, in a time which is very, yeah, full of disasters. But disasters. So, yeah. But this, this, of course, this is an exceptional situation where we have been. But there was luckily no shortage of food. The transport lines were still open for food. Uh, uh, my parents were grown up in the war, in the Second World War, and they they told they told me many stories about that. I mean, that it was a subject which came always back, and then there was no food anymore at the end because the transport line. So that became hunger, and, and and that there was so luckily we didn't have that problem. There was still food available. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So see it from the positive side in that sense too. Yeah. But a lot of people mean problems mm-hmm. economically, definitely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the, the whole economy stopped. Yeah? That mm-hmm. is, uh, we have become very dependent of each other. Yeah? We live in a very strong consumption society. Very. Yeah. The economy thrives on the consumption, a big part on, the con- on what people consume, and that consumption stopped suddenly stagnated. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. So I've come to my last question for you. Uh, okay. So, uh, what do you like to do in your free time? Oh, <laughs> my free time. <laughs> well, we had, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I practice music I practice my oboe I explore new pieces uh, but I also like to make walks and to see the surroundings so I was walking this afternoon a little bit and I see that they haven't cut the grass and that is fantastic because I saw so many birds so nature nature has returned a little bit and of course, it is dangerous because in between the grass, mosquitoes are also breeding. Yeah, so I can understand why they cut grass. But suddenly, I see the mimosa coming back. Mimosa, when they came to Singapore in the 1980s, mimosa is that uh, touch-me-not plant. When you touch the leaves, the leaf immediately uh, shrink. Uh, and I, I was looking around a little bit the last years, the last five years that I I see, and I see that less and less. I didn't see it so much anymore. But suddenly, it is all coming back. And so, nature returns, and, and that is fascinating to see. Yeah, but I understand that you have to cut the grass, and that you have to regulate things, eh? because there's still dengue fever around, and that and dangerous, dangerous illness where we still don't have medicines for. Uh, there's not only uh, the coronavirus, but there are also other uh, illnesses where we still don't have uh, uh, medicines. Yeah, so we have to be careful. We have to be to take care of of, of where we live in. Yeah, that's that's as what I. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we come to the end of the interview. So thanks so much for uh, participating today, Yos. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me, Joanne. And uh, you also keep practicing, yeah? Keep being creative. And uh, that will all help us, yeah? That is our contribution to, to, yeah, the society around us, yeah? And that is also a goal, yeah? A small goal, but this goal can be so important, yeah? So keep going. And I say all the listeners, uh, all the best. Stay healthy. That is very important. And Stay mentally healthy, physically healthy, and uh, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very okay. much. Thank then you. I close it. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, or share it with your friends. That would mean the world to me. Thank you and goodbye.